Welcome to the Voice of Social Sales. I'm your host, Chelsea Pites. Thanks so much for joining me today. I would love to connect with you on all the socials since that's what I do is talk about social media and teach social media, specifically the art of social sales and how to turn your social media activities into business outcomes. Join me on Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, LinkedIn at my name. You can find me at Chelsea.Pites on Snapchat and Instagram. And you can find me under my name, Chelsea Pites, on all of the other socials. That's P-E-I-T-Z. Thanks again for joining me today for another podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the Facebook data breach scandals, the crises that have gone on in the last uh, 11 months. And I thought I would unpack for you a little bit of the details of what's happened in this huge mega company over the last year and how it may change how we use social media in the future, some laws that have been enacted, and really just in simple, easy to understand English, what the heck went on with Facebook this year? So what's the skinny on what has happened with these data breaches? Well, there is a company called Cambridge Analytica, which you might have heard of. Essentially what it is, it's a a political voter profiling company. They basically look at psychographics. They look at behaviors online and they determine what makes a person tick, what their likes are, what their dislikes are, whether they're liberal, Republican, whether they'd be more likely to vote on something, um, what they're more likely to buy or own. And psychographics is something that if you have used a Facebook ad and any of the targeting features within Facebook, then you likely have taken part in using some sort of psychographic data. Now, that's just a fancy term for our behaviors and our styles and our preferences. And it's interesting because Everything that you do online leaves this trail of digital breadcrumbs behind. And what companies like Google and Netflix and Facebook do is leverage those behaviors. And while they're not giving the data or selling the data per se, they're leveraging the data and selling ads using that data and and putting that in front of the right people or the people that you hope will be, um, that will resonate with that particular message. Okay, so now we know basically what the psychographic data is, but how did they get it? So in 2013, there was a gentleman who was a researcher at the University of Cambridge, and he created an app for Facebook. Now, all of us know that apps connect to Facebook via an API, which essentially, in in my mind, the easiest way to describe what an API is, other than it's like a plug or a connection or a conduit for information to flow back and forth through. Uh, I think of it almost like a jump drive or USB port where you can put that into your computer, you can download something from your computer to the USB or vice versa, similar to an API. What this gentleman did was he created one of those quizzes, you know, like, what would you look like if you were your dog, whatever those types of quizzes are. And this particular one was called, this is my digital life. And it was a quiz. And he collected data from the people who took part in that quiz. Now, those people gave their permission. Now, whether or not they actually read everything and understood what they were doing, that's a whole nother story. But they did opt in to play this quiz. And if you might remember some of those games that we might have all played back a few years ago, you could then post it to your friends and they could take the quiz also. So here's the deal. This guy was getting data from not only the people that were using it, it was about 270,000 people that used it, but it became exponential because their friends' data 
were also accessed. Now, as far as what level of data, I'm not exactly sure. I believe it's more than just their profile picture and their name. There was additional data that was gathered. Now, technically, it is against Facebook's rules of service for somebody to take data and then resell it. So he did violate policy there if, in fact, he did sell that or give it to someone else. So allegedly, that data that was pulled from all those accounts was given to Cambridge Analytica. And Cambridge Analytica was at the time, working with the uh, Trump campaign. And their job is to figure out how to place messages that are persuasive in front of the right people. And I quote, air quote, right people, whatever the people that fit their particular psychographics. Now, interestingly enough, there's probably four to 5,000 data points on all of us out there online. So when you've got an algorithm or a bot that can move really quickly and it's basically math and coding, they can really get exponentially huge with the impact, if you can imagine. So from those 270,000 people that use that quiz, uh, roughly 87 million, 87 million accounts had a data breach, data that was taken out without people's permission and then possibly allegedly used by this company to potentially place very specific types of content in front of voters and people that may be making decisions about what was happening in our election. So this is an interesting article. I'm going to be posting all of these articles that I'm referencing in the show notes so that you can take a look at them and read them for yourself. But Trump's campaign used 40 to 50,000 variations of ads every single day. These might be ads that were on social media or in other places online. And they are continuously measuring these responses. And what they would do is immediately evolve, adapt, change them based on those responses pretty much in real time. And they would spread those through bots and different social media platforms. And then the ads that got liked, shared, and commented on the most were then reproduced and redistributed based on where they were popular, what parts of the country they were popular in, and also who they appealed to. Uh, Cambridge Analytica used this real-time data to then change even travel for the presidential campaigners. Like they would say, well, this is a big city that's hitting in Phoenix. So we need to go to Phoenix and we need to talk about this message. So it's interesting how we can take data and then we can actually create these offline events that uh, potentially influence people at the right time, you know, right place, right time. Oh, what a coincidence. We were just talking about that kind of thing. And then as these machine learning and these predictive models become very accurate, the models that they have figured out in, in regards to us as the product, as the human product, because all of our data serves Google, makes it bigger, better and bigger, and it's free. Uh, Facebook, we are feeding that data as well. It kind of reminds me of one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes. Uh, if you ever watch Twilight Zone, where they the, uh, the, the ingredient for dinner turned out to be man as they were going up into the alien spaceship. And for all of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, it's a famous Twilight Zone episode from... A long time ago, but that was one of my favorites. But basically, if it's free, right, you're the product. And as these models become more accurate and we put more data into it and we have more data points about ourselves, they can accurately, really, really accurately predict what your likes are and what you're likely to do. So here was some some information that came out from one of the studies. One of the models got so good 
that with only 10 Facebook likes, meaning if I went to 10 different posts and like them, I'd give them enough information where they could say, you know what, we, we believe that we can tell you what you are more like or more likely to do than the people that you actually work with that know you, that work by you every single day, just by 10 Facebook likes. Now, when it went up to 70 likes, so I go out and like 70 types of things or engage with 70 pieces of content on Facebook, then it com- becomes that now they can predict what you're likely to do more so than your close friends. 150 likes more so than your parents and 300 likes more so than your partner. Now that's crazy, right? So all of this basically happened. Um, the data got out and what, and what Facebook realized was, uh, this is probably not a great idea. So in 2014, they changed, uh, the guidelines around that data. And since then, and since the congressional hearings, they have removed what's called partner categories from the Facebook ads targeting. Now for anybody who is in real estate or lending, There was a lot of categories that many people in that industry used for Facebook ad targeting, such as income levels, familial status, presence of children in home, the ages of children of home. For example, if you wanted to target possibly a first time home buyer or a move up buyer, you might try to target people who've recently just had a baby. And so those categories were removed and those partner categories, they received third party data information. So data mining companies, they also looked at companies like credit, like Experian and things of that nature so that you could see, for example, if I own um, a Tesla or a BMW and I'm a car dealer and I want to serve an ad to somebody who maybe owns a specific model or make of a car, I could do that. So that was a major change that happened to Facebook ads as a result of this data breach. Additionally, um, within the last, I'd say, six or seven months, you might have read articles specifically from HUD that has to do with the potential anti-discriminatory or discriminatory uh, categories that lie within some of those remaining Facebook uh, categories. What they've done since then is they have removed an additional 5,000. But here's the kicker. Some of those categories are coming back in sort of a newer format. For example, the income category used to be just ranges, you know, 50,000 to 100,000 a year and on up. Now it's come back, but it's in percentages. And and don't quote me on this, but I think it's something like top 5% of zip codes in, you know, around the US. So they are kind of coming back. But Essentially, beyond that, you know, raises the question of our data privacy and and this outcry of people to hashtag delete Facebook. And the funny thing to me is that a lot of people abandon Facebook or are abandoning it and going to Instagram. And I think Facebook's excited about that because they own Instagram, but it's all owned by the same company, right? So um, it, it kind of makes me smile a little bit, you know, kind of chuckle to myself when I when I see people deleting Facebook and saying, I'm going to Instagram because it's really all the same company. But in a nutshell, that's what happened. Someone made an app, they took all that data, they sold it to someone they shouldn't have, and now you can see what can happen with bots and data and algorithms. It absolutely can change human behavior and potentially even human history. Recently, there was a few articles that came out uh, about two weeks ago that had to do with some, I believe, emails or documentation that was um, somehow garnered by the UK Parliament, and they were published on their website. Now, Facebook has definitely responded. Nobody knows exactly what's happening. Certainly, I would imagine there will be some sort of legal cases or legal action possibly filed. So this is all information that's, you know, alleged. We don't know uh, what's happening, but I'm just going to read through some of the reports that are on a TechCrunch article This was uh, titled Seized Cash of Facebook Docs Raise Competition and Consequent Questions. 
I think um, a lot of the a lot of the articles that I read really were questioning what does consent mean? You know, do people who are using apps and different things within these social media platforms understand what they're agreeing to? Uh, also, how protected is our data? So this information you can find online, just kind of reading through here, uh, but they have redacted documents. There's 250 pages of them. And the committee chair said that they raise important questions about how Facebook treats users' data, their policies for working with app developers, and how they exercise their dominant position in the social media market. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, They summarize the key issues by stating these bullet points. They talk about whitelisting. They mention that Facebook may have entered into what they call whitelisting agreements with certain companies, which means that after that platform change happened in 2014 and 15, they possibly or allegedly maintained some full access to friends' data. It's not clear that there was any uh, user consent for that. It's also not clear how Facebook decided which companies should or should not be whitelisted. They talk about reciprocity, this idea of data reciprocity between Facebook and app developers as a central feature in discussions. Uh, They also talk a lot about Android. And allegedly, they are stating that Facebook knew that the changes to some of its policies on the Android phone system may have enabled the app to collect information like call information or text information uh, that they may have been looking to mitigate any bad PR and uh, possibly make it as hard for users to know that this was one of the underlying features of the upgrade. Facebook also owns a company, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, Onavo, O-N-A-V-O. And uh, it's mentioned that they've used that to conduct global surveys of the usage of mobile apps by customers and allegedly without their knowledge. They use the data to assess just how many people have downloaded the apps, but also how often they use them. And that knowledge could be used to acquire new companies and also to identify other companies that may be seen as a threat. And then the last bullet point here talks about targeting competitor apps. The files allegedly show evidence of Facebook taking aggressive positions against apps with the consequences that denying them would, they're going to deny them access to data. And when they did that, it could be a failure of that business or that app. So there's lots of information that are going to be coming out here. Um, Again, this is an article from TechCrunch that I'm reading from, and I will definitely put that and all of the other ones in the show notes. So I do want to talk a little bit about now that we've, you know, discussed all the the issues that may be happening within Facebook, a great article that I read by HubSpot recently sort of dove into why are people sticking around? And I have to say that I am one of these people that that are sticking around. And uh, if you go to this article link in the show notes, you'll be able to see they have a really interesting pie chart that gives it a really good visual, easy way to consume this data. And they did a recent survey to measure user sentiment towards Facebook. And they looked at uh, all these different components. And the largest one in this pie chart is 45.54%. So let's just call it 46% of the people said, my personal life, like staying in touch with friends and family, is just too heavily integrated with Facebook to delete my account. I totally get that. I talked about 
that community sociology idea in my book, Talking in Pictures, too, and how when we invest our time into something and build something, a community, it's harder for us to leave, which is exactly what all of these app developers you know, want us to do. The second one was 26.29%. I have accepted that my privacy and personal information may never be completely protected if I use social media. I also agree with that. Um, I understand that we are in an internet-driven world. I actually have cameras inside of my car. And, um, you know, I guess I just accept that privacy is limited, especially when you're going to be using social media. I don't know if you've ever taken the time to read Instagram's Terms of Service. I believe if you print it out, it's about five pages. There's a bunch of online sites that will just give you a summary in plain English. But, you know, we are signing away a lot of our of, of our rights to privacy when we are on those particular platforms. The third largest pie of the chart said uh, that they feel that Facebook still provides an overall value, like being able to discover news, stories, watch videos, or follow brands. I also feel that way as well. So this is an interesting... um, this is an interesting survey here of the information. A couple of the other things I'm not going to go into the percentages they have on here. I have a reason for continuing to use Facebook that isn't listed here. I don't care about the company's missteps enough to delete my account. I don't think there are suitable alternatives to Facebook that could do a better job at protecting my privacy. I've never had an account. I've already deactivated or deleted it, and I wasn't aware of the company's missteps. So you can look through all of that. So this was a, a departure from my my typical content, but I think it's it's important to unpack sort of what's happening in the larger scheme of things with data privacy and the new laws that have been acted in Europe. I believe that California has um, kind of a lighter version of those laws, and I think that we're going to be seeing a lot more of this as machine learning and algorithms and bots and an awareness about our data privacy come more into focus. So I'd like to hear your opinions on data privacy. Um, will you be thinking about deleting Facebook? What steps are you taking? Um, I'd love to hear about it. So please connect with me on all the socials at Chelsea.Pites. That's P-E-I-T-Z. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.